to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. We're, we're, our, our theme for this year is a fresh glimpse of Jesus. What we want to do is we want, to, we want an accurate view of Jesus. We want to see Jesus for who Jesus is. And so it's this idea of this fresh glimpse of Jesus. And we're, and we're traveling through the gospel according to John, where John was an eyewitness of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. Jesus called him, and he followed Jesus. He's one of the original 12 disciples. It's a pretty good account, right? If you're going to learn about Jesus, he's a, he's a good person to interview. And he, and he gives us this book called The Gospel According to John. And so it's this idea of a fresh glimpse of Jesus. And, and, and right now we're in John chapter 12. We're at the last week of Jesus's life. Specifically today, we're going to look at what, what traditionally is called Palm Sunday, right? It's the Sunday before Jesus rises from the dead, before what we celebrate on Easter, right? We're looking at Palm Sunday. Some things that have already happened just recently in John's account, uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's a pretty big event, right? Lazarus is dead. He's a friend of Jesus. He's dead for four days. We've, we've learned that in Jewish culture, one of the superstitions they had was that for three days, uh, the spirit would, would hover over the body for three days. So there, in their mind, there was always this, this, this kind of hope of resuscitation for three days. And then Jesus shows up when? On day four. On the day when there would have been no more hope, hope shows up, showing us that there's a bigger hope in the world. And so Obviously, this would have uh, caused quite a ruckus. He's just risen uh, Lazarus from the dead. It, the, the news has spread all over the place. And now he's walking in, and he's going to walk in uh, to Jerusalem during the Passover, right? Where there was probably roughly maybe 100,000 people or less that lived in Jerusalem. During Passover, it would have exploded to over a million people, right? Lots of people. In, in Jerusalem at, at this time, and everybody is talking about Jesus. N- almost nobody agrees about who he is, but everyone is talking about Jesus. This man who's been performing miracles, which is exciting to some, is scary to some, but even more than that, he's performing miracles, undeniable, and he's claiming to be God. He's claiming that he is God. The, the, the Jewish uh, leadership has already decided this is a problem. This man is a problem. We want to finish him. We want to abolish him. We want to kill him. We want to put him on trial. So Jesus is already a marked man by the government. But by, by, by the people, by the revolutionaries, there's still this hope. They see him differently. They have expectations on him. And I want to suggest we're going to look for five weeks in John chapter 12, and there's one thing that threads all of these together, and it's the glory of God. The glory of God is what threads uh, John chapter 12 together. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the section that we're going to look at today, and then I'm going to let you guys kind of just, just verbally process a little bit. What are some things that you see And then we're going to kind of just walk through the story together, and that's going to conclude our time. And we're going to be really focusing in on how, what is John trying to say to us in this story about the glory of God? Because there's four accounts of this story. All four Gospels talk about this. I'm intentionally not going to add all of their, their additions and just say, what is John trying to say about Jesus and about his glory in this story? 
So John chapter, twel- uh, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, we'll read. It says, the next day, it's talking about the Sunday, the past, or, 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 or Palm Sunday. They didn't call it Palm Sunday yet because you'll see why. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, that's the Passover feast, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. That will be the the end of today's reading of the word. Well, what are some things as we read through this story? What are some things that kind of stand out to you guys? What did you hear in this in this colorful story? Yes. Stephen. Yeah, well, they had come out to see him because of the sign that he had done, namely that he had just risen Lazarus from the dead. That's a big deal. You know, if someone, if if you heard a story about someone who had done something that great, everybody would say, well, I want to see him, right? He's coming into, he's he's coming to LA, let's buy tickets, right? Yeah, of course we would. Yeah, very good point. Any other thoughts, observations that you see? Yes. Yes, yes. As, as this is unfolding, they're, they're following Jesus. They're walking with Jesus, and all of these things are happening. And it would be foolish to think that, that these men are, are watching it and going, Oh yeah, I remember when Zechariah 9, 9, I remember when it said that. No, they didn't, they didn't put it all together until much later, when they had seen more of who Jesus was. They had actually seen him die and rise from the dead, hang out with him for 40 years days and then ascend into heaven after that this stuff started to make more sense very good yeah any other thoughts things you see in here ian mm-hmm. Pharisees had a different response, right? They're watching, they're watching all of these people respond to Jesus and, and to praise him and to wave these palm branches. And the Pharisees, they're like, wow, we tried to stop this guy. We basically said, no one hang out with him. He's, he's a marked man. And what do they go? It's not working. Look, everyone's still following him, even though we've tried to stop it, right? We need to get more extreme. And they will. And they will. Very good. Yeah. 
Well, I would suggest that, as I have suggested, that what, what we're seeing here is it's, it's revolved around the glory of God. It's a cool Christian word, right? It's very Christianese, the glory of God. Oh, glory to God, right, we might say. What does that even mean? What is the glory of God? Lots of people try to uh, encapsulate this, and I would suggest this as we, as we try to walk into understanding this, that, that trying to explain with, 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 with limited human uh, language, trying to explain the glory of God, or even more, trying to hear and trying to wrap your mind around the glory of God is a lot like sitting at the bottom of Niagara Falls with a shot glass and trying to catch the water. It will soon overwhelm you. It's too big to capture. It's why it's so hard to understand what this means, the glory of God. It's so much bigger. If you were to put the glory of God and try to capture you, it's unmeasurable. Because it's about who God is. But glory is about weightiness. It's about big dealness. It's about magnitude. It's about the size of something, the weight of something, the, 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 the making much of something or someone is glory. And here's some interesting things as we try to process what this looked like and what's John trying to say about this. First of all, you have to understand that this is so important because literally we were created to glorify God. You were created for the glory of God. And why do I say that? Because that's what the Bible says. Have you ever wondered, like, what's my purpose? Or what's the meaning of life, right? Is that a small issue? What's the meaning of life? Let's talk about that over some coffee, right? That could be a pretty deep conversation. Well, Isaiah is one of the prophets uh, in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 43, 7, he says this. He goes, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory whom I formed and made. Now we can know this about each other, that each of us is created in the image of God. We're created by a creator. We have a value in that sense. Everybody has value. Everyone should have some dignity because we're all created in the image of God. And he created us according to his name. He wanted to put his name on us. We're created in the image of God. He takes responsibility for that. He takes credit for that. He wants you to be associated with him in the creation in that way. And we were created for the glory of God. It's important to understand then, what is this glory of God? Some snapshots in the Bible when Moses is leading the people through, uh, through the wilderness. If you're familiar with that story, they're, they're walking with a, a, roughly a million people walking through the wilderness. They'd never been there before. It's hot. There's no Starbucks. There's no drive through No one brought a cooler. The lunch that someone packed, it's, it's gone now. Someone ate it all, right? And, and they're all grumbling with each other. You can imagine, right? You go there, it's hot. It doesn't matter how good your attitude is when you start off on a journey. If stuff starts going wrong, you tur- start turning on each other, right? You get hangry. It just happens. We're human. That's all happening. They're arguing. They're grumbling against Moses. Moses goes and prays. God says this, tomorrow morning I'm going to send quail, food, and manna, and the people will see my glory. What does this mean? In a very practical way, they're going to get a fat clue. God does care about you, and he will provide for you. And they saw his glory in that. 
Some people have said that God's glory is how God makes himself known to us and how God makes himself known through us. There's a concept in the Old Testament called Shekinah glory. That's a cloud, Shekinah cloud of glory. When God's presence had come like a cloud and engulfed the people and they knew he was there, it was a felt presence. There was glory in that. Moses wanted to see God's glory, and he said, okay, I'll give you a little taste of it, because if I gave you all of it, you would die. And he puts him in this cleft in the mountain, right? And he covers Moses, and he goes by backwards, it seems, right? And he gets to see the backside of God, and he says, you saw a glimpse of God's glory. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, he's going to reference it at the end of chapter 12. We'll look at it in a few weeks. He, he sees a picture of God in a vision, the glory of God. The glory of God is the weightiness of God. It's who God is in all of his bigness. The glory of God. And to glorify God, to glorify something is to recognize its value. So you can see that we glorify things all the time. Whatever you give a lot of value to, you're giving glory to it. Right? If you've ever been a part of a, 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 a fan of a sports franchise, right? When your sports franchise is doing well, you're caught up in the glory of that. You love participating in that. If you've ever been in the shower singing, that's one thing to sing a song in the shower. But if you've ever experienced singing side by side with hundreds of thousands of people, the experience is much different. You're caught up in the bigness. You're caught up in the glory. This is glimpses of what glory is. And what we see in the scripture, what John is really trying to say is something like this. Jesus is supremely valuable. Jesus is valuable. The glory of God is big. When we focus on the glory of God and we, and we really recognize it, a lot of other things that seem big in the moment get real small. The bigness of God is important to be able to see because sometimes other things, lesser things, become too big of a deal. That's how our priorities get out of whack. You can compare the glory of God to your, to your attitude, right? You can compare the, am I really glorifying God? Or am I glorifying other things? Or am I seeking personally to be glorified? These are big issues. And so we enter into this story, this idea that God is supremely valuable. Jesus is supremely valuable. And we see Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And the people seem to glorify him, do they not? They wave palm branches and they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, what does this all mean? But we're going to see right now, it's a false glory. And it's a temptation for false glory. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. He's walking in with a purpose. He's walking into Jerusalem and he's going to die on the cross. He is going to bring healing. He is going to bring renewal. He is going to bring transformation. But it's not what they expect. What do they want? They want Jesus to walk into Jerusalem and they want him to raise up an army and they want him to attack Rome and to overthrow Rome, and win freedom for Israel. They want a better America. They want a better Jerusalem. 
They want, a, they want the promised land. They want better times. They want freedom from the problems. What do they neglect to see? Wait, we're part of the problem. Fix them. No. He's come to fix us. He's come to heal us. The problem's bigger than they see. So in our notes, the first thing that we see here is that his reputation has drawn a crowd. That's what it says. They'd heard about him, and they came out to see him. His reputation had drawn a crowd. Think about this. Think about the temptation of Jesus in his humanness in this moment to to be what they want him to be. To be what they're celebrating him to be. Do you think it would have been hard for Jesus to walk in and to raise up uh, an army and overtake Rome? No way! He's Jesus! He could have easily done that. And they would have praised him. And he would have been a big deal. And, they would have, and he would have become a national hero. And he would have been written about in the history books. But it's not why he's there. So there, they, his reputation has drawn the crowd, which, which, which brings up this huge, this huge deal. Peer pressure. If you're here and you're in high school or junior high, or if you're just human, you know what? This is such a big deal. I mean, we, we, we look at it and we go like, okay, in junior high and high school, remember how hard the peer pressure was? But, but let's be honest. We all try to do things to fit in. We all try to be what everyone wants us to be. We all read magazines and like seven ways to be, you know, to be cool or whatever it is or to get to, to, to do these things, right? We all, what are we doing? We, we want to be glorified. We think we're created for our own glory, to be glorified. No, you're created not for that. The more you get glory, the more miserable you are, right? Read TMZ. Do, do, do any of these, like, these, these, these fame, these people who have great fame, do any of them seem happy? None of them do, right? And the ones that do, it's because they, they just haven't been exposed how miserable they, all, they are when the cameras are off. Personal glory doesn't equal satisfaction because you weren't created for that. It's a temptation. Have any of you guys ever done anything, and we, we, you don't have to raise your hand, have you ever done anything and it was foolish and you did it because you were trying to fit in? I'm not going to ask you to embarrass yourself, but I will embarrass myself. So I'm a firefighter, and, and one of the processes of getting a job was I worked as a reserve. If you guys have heard of a rookie, here's the rookie, here's the reserve. You're worse than the reserve than the rookie, okay? I'm the, I'm the reserve, okay? And I go to this station, I'm working my duty, and it becomes dinner time, and I'm helping them, and somebody had brought in a habanero, chili. Now, I don't usually fall for peer pressure, but I don't know what was going on in my particular weakness. I just wanted to be cool. They said, you should eat that. I said, okay. And I ate a whole habanero. That's how I felt. The next thing I did was I was trying to be cool, trying to play it off. It wasn't working. I was running around like a chicken, right, all over the place. I went into the refrigerator. You would never do this as a reserve. That's other people's food. I grabbed milk. I didn't even know who it was. I'm drinking the whole thing. It was almost a whole gallon. Now, they tell you when you drink a gallon of milk, it's impossible. Your stomach can't hold it all. But I drank a whole gallon of milk. But they were right because I threw it all up. And it was hotter coming out. 
And then I walk out. I'm sweating. I'm miserable. And how cool do I look? But to say that I'm not susceptible, even as a grown man, to peer pressure is ridiculous. And I imagine Jesus walking into Jerusalem and the the temptation to just do what they want him to do. But he doesn't. We see that they're waving palm branches and they're singing hosannas. And what this equals is a political revolution. If you're not Jewish in the first century Jerusalem, you can't understand that they're waving American flags and yelling, God bless America, when, 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 when Rome is, is, is overseeing. It would have been highly offensive, right? No, no, allegiance to Caesar is what we want. No, God bless America, this guy's our new king. They're screaming it. The, the palm branches are a sign, they're called a lulav, right? In, in, in Jewish history, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would have waved these lulavs. We looked at that a few weeks ago, right? But even further along, about 150 years before Jesus, the Syrians had taken over Jerusalem and most of the known world. And the Syrians were bad uh, to the Jerusalem. One of the leaders was one of the worst leaders uh, of history. It's like a Hitler-type guy. And he comes into Jerusalem and he slaughters a pig, an unclean animal, on their altar. They're highly offended. They've wakened the, the sleeping giant. This family called the Maccabees, they stand up for revolution against the Syrians. Their, their, their dad, the key leader, his nickname was the Hammer, right? This is almost like, like, like UFC slash, you know, WWE type stuff, the Hammer, Maccabees. And he, and he leads this revolution. It's a long and hard and bloody war. But, 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 but Israel wins. Temporarily, they, they, they win back their freedom. And they rededicate the temple. This happens in December. And that's what we just looked at in, in a couple of chapters ago, the Feast of Dedications, or we celebrate today called Hanukkah. That's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating this revolutionary victory when, when, when the Maccabees had won this war. During the Feast of Dedication, the thing that had just happened was Sukkot. And they missed it because, because they were in war. They didn't, they didn't celebrate Sukkot. So what do they do? Normal people, we're going to celebrate. Let's, let's, let's figure out all the traditions we have and put them together. They start waving palm branches. Palm branches now becomes this remembrance of the time when the Maccabees had defeated the Syrians. Now Jesus is coming in. They don't want him to be meek and mild. What do they want him to be? The hammer! And they wanna, they're want they waving these like, we want our freedom back, but we want it for good this time. There's all kinds of political revolution written into these palm branches. And they're singing. They're singing, uh, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a direct quote from Psalm 118. During Sukkot, they would have sung the Psalms of Hillel, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, and it ends this way. They're saying, we want Maccabees. We want Hammer. Blessed is Jesus. And then they add something to it. They read the scriptures, and then they add something that's not in there. They add, we want Jesus to come, right? And they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. That's not in, in Psalm 118. They want, him, they want him to come, and they want him to be the King of Israel. 
They're being very clear. Jesus, yes, come. We're all, we got your back. Let's do this. They want Jesus to come and open up a can of whoop somebody, and that somebody is Rome, is what I'm saying. But Jesus shows up. You would expect, the expectation is they want him to show up on a war horse, no? Well, how does he show up? Not only on a donkey, but on a baby donkey. <laughs> like someone would have, hey, hey, what's your baby donkey name? Right? I don't know what his name was. It doesn't tell us. But it's a baby donkey is not quite a war horse. The baby donkey is not quite a war horse. But this is also a fulfillment of prophecy. In Zechariah 9.9, in the Old Testament, it says this. It says, and, that's, and that's what John quotes. He says, he says he was fulfilling prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. That's a part of this prophecy. When you see New Testament prophecy, it's almost always a couple of Old Testament prophecies squished together. There's another piece to this. He also says, fear not, daughter of Zion. That's what it says in John. That's not in Zechariah. That's in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 49 says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, the glory of God. Behold the glory of God. The king has come, your Zion, and you guys are supposed to recognize the glory of God, who he is, and you're going to have a job to do. You're going to go out and herald this good news. Is that starting to make sense with, 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 with what Jesus is actually coming in to do? To make disciples that are going to spread the gospel. But they don't understand. The people are clearly trying to communicate something to Jesus. No? Jesus, come defeat Rome. And Jesus is clearly trying to communicate something to them. I'm not here to do what you want me to do. I'm here to fulfill prophecy. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm not here to do what you want me to do. I'm here to do what God wants me to do. If you're in high school, that's incredibly hard, but nothing could be more respectful than everybody wants you to do it, but you're just doing what God wants you to do. You're a reserve firefighter. Don't do what everyone wants you to do. Just do what God wants you to do. That's the, met, that's the application. Do what God's called you to do. And the pressure will be immense to do what everyone wants you to do. They're trying to communicate something to Jesus. Jesus is trying to communicate something to them. But listen, they can't hear him. Because they're too busy with their own agenda. And they're not listening. As Christians... 2016, are these not great applications? Yes, you'll feel tempted to do what everyone else wants you to do. But just do what God wants you to do. 
Yes, the noise on Facebook is immense. But listen to God. Yes, you have all of these things that you, it's easy to see. God, come do this, come do that. Jesus, come do this. How many of you guys have experienced this? Jesus doesn't always meet all of your expectations. Jesus won't always meet all of your expectations. And he taught us to pray like this. Not my will, but your will. Jesus walks into Jerusalem, not your will, his will. Right? And he wants to communicate something to us. But are we listening? Are we humble? Do we want what God wants? Or do we think that we have the answers? Has Jesus been trying to communicate something with you? Are you listening? Some of us just need to do this today. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Okay, God, I'm listening. Is there anything, God, that you want to say to me? As we prepare for worship, maybe that's, that's, maybe that's your attitude. God, is there anything that you've been trying to say to me and I haven't been listening? Still my heart. Help me to listen. Help me to obey. Does the element of wonder, when Jesus doesn't do all that you want him to do, does that element of wonder, does it lead you to worship him? Or are you prone to wander away from him and worship lesser things? In other words, Think about it. If you could find a God who met all of your expectations, would he be worthy of worship? Would it really be you wanting him to worship you? Him, as if God, like prayer for God is like, oh, that's such a great idea. That's such a great idea. Never thought of that. Never thought, yeah, that would be a good solution. I don't think God ever does that. I do think he listens. But I think it's more about he already knows what to do and we're supposed to join him. Not, oh yeah, you know what to do. Okay, I'll join you. I don't think that that's the way it is. Although that's my attitude when I'm honest sometimes. We'll have the worship team come back out. The last part in this is, is not something that's in the story, but it's in the rest of, of, uh, of, of John chapter 12. And so I just want to unpack this and we're going to be walking into this type of stuff in the next few weeks. And it's this, there is no me, myself, or I in glory. When you think about glory, you're created for the glory of God. There's no me, myself, or I in this concept, biblical glory. Letter A is this, life in the kingdom is a team sport. I love, I love child dedications because it's, 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 it's saying, hey, we're welcoming you guys all into this. We're in it together. It takes a village to raise a child. You've heard that? The glory of God is about being a team sport. It's not about an individual, it's not an individual sport. And here's the thing, when the team wins, we all win. That's why there's so many things like rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We say get in a community group, be a part of a team. When one person wins, we all celebrate. When one person hurts, we all hurt. Because when one person wins, we all win.
And more importantly, when God is glorified, we all win. When God is, is exalted, the whole world wins. When God is glorified, we all win. And, and you, I, I remember this, and we've, we've used this before, but some of you guys are new. Remember when the Lakers were good? I know it's been a while. But there was this time in history, kids, when the Lakers were good. And it was a good time, right? And the Lakers were good, and there was this time when they were winning. And I remember very clearly, this is a lot of the same issues. People still, there was still racism. People were still fighting with each other. But you were dri- people still cut each other off. But it was amazing. You would see, like, you're driving down the street, and someone would cut you off. And then you would be, like, angry, tempted to get angry. But then you would see they have a Laker flag on. And then you're honking, like, yeah, high five, the Lakers. We're all caught up, as if we did it. We were caught up in the glory of the Lakers' victory, right? Imagine one day when we enter into heaven and we're all caught up in the glory of God that way, where the the thing that unites us all is Jesus. And there's freedom from all of that. And we're high-fiving each other. And I'm just telling you, I want to walk into heaven with like some black eyes and some grass stains and hear him say like, good job, Kenny, you played well today. And I'll be like, yeah, and then high-fiving everybody. But it's not about me, it's about the team victory. That's how I imagine walking into heaven. I don't know if it will be like that. But the idea is that, is that it's, a, it, it's when we glorify God, everyone wins. Take it back. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. And they want to glorify comfort. They want to glorify this earth. Jesus is doing something so much bigger The glory of God is entering Jerusalem. They should be cheering about the glory of God, but they aren't. They're cheering about a false hope, about a a greater Jerusalem. No, it's bigger than that, and they can't see it. We could go back in time, and we could see a time in history. They're saying, we want you to be like King David. Guess what? David saw something that they don't see in the Old Testament. When David is the king, before he's the king, something happens. When, when Eli is the priest, the people aren't following God. They're not, they're not obeying God. And God sends the Philistines, and the Philistines defeat them in victory. And they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they take it out of Jerusalem. This is symbolic of the glory of God leading Jerusalem. It is so horrific. People are falling off of walls and dying. Somebody's giving birth, this girl's giving birth, and she hears that the covenant of God, the Ark of the Covenant has left, and she names her kid Ichabod, which means God's glory has departed. All in the Old Testament. For years, the glory of God and the Ark of the Covenant is out here in the midst. They finally get it back when David is king. And they say, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And they build this awesome cart, right? It's like blinged out, right, with, with, with awesome stuff from Pep Boys and everything else. And they're bringing this Ark of the Covenant back on this cart. Well, it hits a rock, and it, and it shakes, and somebody tries to grab it. Well, you're not allowed to do that. And he dies. And the people are like, we we're just trying to do something good. What's happening here? They're afraid of God. They're mad at God. He's not meeting their expectations. Well, David, being a good king, starts reading the scriptures. He realizes something. Everywhere where it talks about carrying the ark, 
there's five different times the Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you always carry it on poles. That's why there's holes where the poles go. You never carry it on a cart. They're trying to bring the glory of God into Jerusalem their own way. It doesn't work that way. They go and they design these poles. They carry it into poles. They start carrying this Ark of the Covenant. It literally says they take six steps. One, two, three. They're looking at each other. No one's died yet. Four, five. By the time they get to six, they set it down and they have a huge worship party. They're so excited that it's working. We're obedient to God and something's going to happen. David takes off. He's in his underwear. Remember that story? He's dancing around. They go in, and they're so excited because they're bringing the glory of God back to the city of God. Psalm 96 is what David pens. We're going to have it on the board, and as we enter into worship, I want to ask you guys just to stand with me. If you want to read along, you're welcome to. And we'll go right into worship. David sings this song as they, as, they, as they usher in the glory of God into Jerusalem. This is the psalm that the people should have been singing, and yet they're singing their own version of the Psalm 118. But they should have been singing, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an f- and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. And let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Let's 